0: Hello,
1: and welcome to the Fintech Power 50 podcast, focused on discussing the most interesting topics in fintech. The Fintech Power 50 is an annual guide to the most influential, innovative, and powerful figures in the fintech industry, shining a spotlight on those who are transforming financial services for the better.
2: Hi everyone, my name is Polly Jean Harrison, I am Features Editor over at the Fintech Times and I am thrilled to be here today presenting this episode of the Power50 podcast. We have a fantastic episode lined up for you today with some amazing guests, and we are going to be talking all about payments. So to give you a little bit of hint of the conversation we're going to be having today, so with alternative payments continuing to pick up the pace, the industry constantly continues to provide innovative solutions for consumers and businesses to send and receive money. This podcast will look to explore the blossoming payments landscape of 2022 and predict what the big trend of the year could be. Our panellists will also share their thoughts on the opportunities and the challenges that this industry presents and answer the question, what comes next? So let me introduce my fantastic group of panellists we have today. So we've got Will Marek, Chief Operating Officer at IFX Payments, Daniel Blondell, Chief Operating Officer at McLear, and Damien Cahill, COO and Co-Founder at Vine. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining me today. We're thrilled to have you on the podcast.
1: Thank you very much. It's lovely to be here. Thanks, Polly. Thank Thank you,
0: Polly.
2: Amazing. Well, before we get started with our payments chat, I thought I'd give you guys the opportunity just to introduce yourselves and your company and just the kind of things you do just before we get started. So, Will, why don't you kick us off with that one?
0: Yeah, hi, uh, Will Marek, I'm the CEO of IFX Payments. Um, I've been with business for four years. Um, and IFX actually started off as a traditional telephone brokerage service in the FX space, uh, selling spots forwards, that sort of st- that sort of thing. And a number of years ago, we sort of pivoted the business into offering um, what we would call more a digital treasury management solution for corporates in the form of virtual IBANs. So we have built a Multi-currencies or e-wallet, with all these sort of corporate value-led propositions there. MT 103s also reconciliation functions, all that sort of stuff that uh, finance directors and finance controllers all love to see. So um, it's been a it's been a fantastic two years since we launched that product in January twenty twenty. The business has, has has grown significantly in that time, and it's all thanks to that to that fintech product. And, and actually, it was only. It was only uh, sort of this time last year that we, I think we could really call ourselves a fintech when sort of our our, our revenues and all, all started to, to move very much towards the platform. And actually, most of what we were doing was then, was then focused on that tech solution. So uh, we're delighted to be to be sort of welcomed to the fintech club, as it were. Um, I'm looking forward to some, uh, some exciting years ahead.
2: Fantastic. And I would like to officially welcome you to the fintech club. So we're <laughs> so glad you're
0: here. Thank you very much. <laughs>
2: Uh, Dan, throwing it to you next, would you like to give a quick intro?
1: Yeah, thank you. Um, So Daniel Blondell, McLear. um, McLear started out many, many moons ago now, but it certainly feels like anyway, as NFC ring. So we saw the use case for a form factor, um, like a ring for all different kinds of things that were not payment orientated back in the day. So mainly for engineers, makers, to use NFC as a, uh, as a technology for access control and, and all kinds of weird and wonderful things. In fact, I think we still have some magicians that use our rings for, for their shows, which is, uh, is all quite interesting. And then we were approached um, by Visa back in 2015, who liked the ring, thought it was cool, and obviously would like us to do payments. So together, um, we helped launch the world's first payment ring. We did that at the Rio Olympics, which was all very nice. Um, And then since then, the publicity that we got from that, the demand for a ring that did uh, payments grew. And as such, we um, helped make the company into a two-prong approach. So one is B2B. So there's lots of financial issuers, transport operators around the world that use our form factor uh, and issue that to their consumers across their own rails. Um, And then we also have our own B2C direct-to-consumer Um, proposition which I guess puts us into the uh, into the fintech bracket Um, and we've been doing the consumer side for about four years now Um, only in the UK uh, but more recently we've branched out with our first consumer program in Japan Um, we're just about to launch in the Middle East and we'll soon be partnering to launch in the US as well.
2: Amazing. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dan. One of my colleagues has one of your rings and is utterly <laughs> obsessed with it. He loves showing it off every time we go out. So thrilled to have you here today. Awesome. Yeah. And uh, Damien, last but certainly not least, please could you give an intro to yourself and your company?
3: Absolutely. Thanks, Polly. Hey, Will, good to see you again, sir. Good to see you're keeping well. Yes, likewise. It's been a while. <laughs> yeah, a little while. Uh what with COVID and all that. Okay, so uh, Vine. Um We are an account-to-account payments company. Uh, I sit as the chief operating officer, but don't let the grandiose title fool you. I I touch pretty much everything in the business from making tea in the morning to negotiating with a pan-European retail brand in the afternoon. Um, Vine sits on uh, the open banking technology that um, was mandated by PSD2 and... To cut a long story short, we move money from a consumer's account straight into a merchant's account and bypass the card gateways, card acquirers, card schemes, and the issuing banking interchange to basically make payments faster, fairer, and safer for consumers and merchants alike. Uh, we founded the company with three of us around my kitchen table about two and a half years ago. Uh, since then, we have broken uh, the 60 mark on a headcount. Uh, two weeks ago. And we are currently servicing all verticals. So retail, travel, airlines, um, digital goods, gaming, uh, fintech services, payment platforms and other software platforms. So yeah, it's a period of manic growth. I'm just about keeping up with it. Um, And uh, yeah, pleased to be here.
2: Fantastic. We're very pleased to have you here and fantastic news on the growth of the company with your headcount. That's amazing. And I hope it hope it continues. Um, so anyway, let's just get straight onto it. We're here to talk about payments. We've got three fantastic uh, payments companies here. Let's start at sort of almost a super high level. It's 2022. I know we're quite far into it now, almost a quarter of the way. April is very fast approaching. But what did the payments landscape look at the start of 2022? And how is it sort of looking in these first three months. Uh, So Dan, I'm gonna throw that one to you first. Oh, Dan, you're muted.
1: There you go, sorry, I won't do that again, I promise. Um, Yeah, thank you for coming to me first. Um, It's actually quite timely i I sat down yesterday with um somebody that i just haven't caught up with in a a long while works for a pretty pretty big tier one issuer in the uk And, and we were having this very same conversation you know where has payments gone in in the last couple of years certainly since the pandemic kicked in i think for a lot of the big um issuers and i think for a lot of companies in general it was batten down the hatches and and get through whatever you could. And that certainly put play to a lot of what we would call typical types of innovation that we would see. So so the the test and learn and the big marketing pieces that that were done to put yourself in a, in a shop window and show that the innovation wheels were were still turning internally. Um, But I think the, mandates that have come um as as don just said there from from psd2 has certainly taken a lot of bandwidth from a lot of the um big issuers i think open banking implementation has taken its time um and people have had to to bed in with that the 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 things that i'm hearing around the circuit certainly are coming towards web free type uh implementations now so Lots of banks dipping their toes into buying virtual land, opening virtual uh, branches, um, which I think is absolutely fascinating use of the the technology itself. So, yeah, I think for me this year in particular, um, we are certainly looking at um, open banking um, and Web3 are the hot topics that I think I'm hearing and having conversations about.
2: Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned Web3 and I get the feeling we might be talking about that quite a lot today. Quite a lot okay. coming up. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but anyway, Damien, I'm going to throw the same question to you. What have you been seeing in the first three months of 2022?
3: So I think, you know, as we start to put COVID in the rearview mirror, payments now, I mean, the, the evolution of payments throughout the pandemic has been remarkable, right? Um, One key thing that's come out of it for me, uh, we're talking... Uh, with with uh, merchants, customers, is the sheer volume of options that are now available. I mean, <clears throat> we've got contactless, digital currencies, open banking, BNPL, card, digital wallets. You know, there's never been so much variety. I mean, typically speaking, you know, the UK and the US were indoctrinated into cards, PayPal, Apple Pay. That was about it. Um, different story in Europe and, and LATAM, of course, with all the, the, the different APMs, you know, stage digital wallet store, digital wallet, uh, prepaid, postpaid, et cetera, et cetera. You know, hundreds of them. But that's starting to creep in now. Um, and I think I've seen some great checkouts and I've seen some absolute car crashes of uh, checkouts. And for me, I think it's absolutely right to have variety on the checkout, But it's only the payments that meet consumer and business demands that are going to win out um, as we go through the next few years with all these different payment methods. And um, certainly what we found is that the user experience is absolutely key, um, more now than ever before.
2: Yeah, and that's certainly something that I've noticed sort of sitting as like a watcher of the fintech industry at the Fintech Times, that consumer demands are just really kind of like the be-all and end-all to everything at the moment, especially when it comes to things like payments, because, you know, we all make payments every day, constantly. So that's really interesting. And then, Will, sort of, what was your perspective on this?
0: Yeah, you know, I'd echo a lot of what, what, what Damien's mentioned, actually, because I think, as you'd have expected, certainly over the last couple of years, there's been a continued shift towards digital, seamless. And I think what people perceive as instant payments, albeit they're not necessarily instant, Um, I think more and more people moving towards sort of virtual forms of banking infrastructure in the form of e-wallets sort of and payment initiation instructions all that sort of stuff Um, and they're continuing to move away from their traditional banking infrastructure and sort of embracing technology that makes life simpler and I think again Damien touched on earlier about the sort of the UX there of any sort of functionality that you're going to offer and I think that's an interesting sort of combination that you have to balance but you know certainly on the open banking front that sort of and I'm, I'm sure Vines would live this through is that sort of you know you want consumer adoption in the form of a very simple straightforward checkout but you've got to you know you've got to balance that with then you know how you then approach the actual your customer which would be maybe the merchant or the or the, or the company that you're, you're sort of selling the solution to um but I suppose on a corporate level you know that the, the trend sort of continues away from moving away from, from, from banks. I think a lot of the feedback we get from, from finance directors is, is, you know, it's, payments are driven by, you know, the speed, the price, um, yeah you know, sort of visibility around timings, amounts, sort of status, things like that. Um, and, you know, banking format harmonization as well as sort of a big, big key requirement for, for, for corporates at the moment. And I think, you know, seeing that sort of continued emergence, for for a requirement for a digital experience i think really supports that shift that fintechs aren't necessarily just a sort of yeah sort of they'll fashion the pan sort of thing and actually we're seeing that now with the funding levels now we are reaching sort of astronomical levels and you know new more and more players are coming into the market and naturally what happens there is that a lot of people a lot of a lot of fintechs are becoming a lot more specialized in the industry we're seeing a lot less seeing less generalists and i think naturally what that will mean is that there'll be a a growing trend in partnerships and collaborations this year you see a lot of that and um, certainly towards the back end of 2021 um and you know we're seeing that the payments industry grow to to sort of new levels and it will continue that way in 2022 for sure
2: amazing um, great stuff thank you so much and then will you mentioned there a couple of the things that are driving uh, the payments industry at the moment i would love to know your three perspectives on what's fueling the innovation in the payments industry what is it that sort of providing that get up and go to make this new innovative payment industry that we all sort of see every day. Uh, Damien, why don't we come to you for that one?
3: Yeah, sure. Thanks, Polly. We're in the on-demand decade, right? People want instant fulfillment, instant gratification. Um, you know, throughout many, if not all, aspects of their lives, uh, and definitely payment behavior is in there. I mean, you can see the increase, right? And it's a staggering 85,000 businesses launched online shops in the first four months of lockdown. Um, but then when we look at the consumer findings from, uh, from, from what we've done in terms of research, four in 10 online shoppers feel that retailers always meet their checkout and payment needs. So these low attention spans are causing higher dropouts. We found that yeah, more than a third of consumers would spend a maximum of one to three minutes on a checkout uh, and payment before abandoning that car and going somewhere else, because there, there are no unique retailers anymore you know, or unique travel providers anymore. Right, You can go and get it from a multiple of um, different providers uh, as a consumer. And I think consumers are falling out of love with car payments. Um, we found that 63% have at least one frustration with the perceived lack of security. Length of time to input details, arduous authentication checks, um, particularly more now, uh, more so now with mobile devices, where the margin for error on a, a mobile keypad of putting in the sixteen digits, the CVV, the expiry date, billing address, shipping address, pint of blood from firstborn child—you know—the um, the payments industry needs to keep up with that consumer evolution and the consumers' demands. Um, so that is is pretty much what. We think or what I think is driving um, this this innovation and the constant mission to make payments clearer, cleaner, faster, more efficient, uh, and just almost getting to the point where a consumer doesn't even have to think about what they're doing. They just press a couple of buttons, biometrically authenticate and boom, payment's done.
2: Yeah, it's interesting what you say about authentication and almost like the time it takes for a card payment, because I know that it's that fine line, isn't it, of being quick enough that the consumer doesn't lose interest, like you said, but also secure enough that you're not just having fraud upon fraud upon fraud. So that's it's a very sort of fine tightrope walk, I guess, for, for payments companies.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And of course, as an industry, we've just, just done ourselves a massive favour by um, uh, bringing in uh, strong customer authentication on top of all the other stuff, right? Um, mm. so yeah, that tightrope's even thinner now.
2: Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Uh, Will, I saw you nodding along to a few of Damien's points there. What do you think on this?
0: Yeah, again, I agree. I think, I think you know, reg- regulation is actually a key driver in innovation, actually, for the payments industry at the moment. I think... Right, rightfully so, by the way, but I think the FCA are, are looking at ways in which we can sort of help provide a lot more structure and a lot more sort of accountability in the payments and, and e-money space. And um, I think whilst it creates a lot of challenges for you know, sort of smaller businesses, it does actually encourage a lot of innovation. And I think, you know, Damien touched on strong customer authentication being one of them. And again it's one of those things that i think if you if you sort of look at it through the lens of a challenge of right okay this is an additional step that we've got to integrate into our sort of payment initiation process which actually could become quite clunky and cumbersome and actually put a customer off using your platform actually what it does do is also present an opportunity to separate yourself from your competitors and the way in which you deliver that and actually if you can create a seamless experience where actually it's you you achieve what you need to achieve under and under the, the FCA requirements but do it in a way that you know is 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 very easy you know a nice clean user experience that's the kind of thing that will not just retain your existing business but will you know make your product more appealing to than those you know other other competitors that are out there so whilst you know Sometimes we can we can see you know new new regs come in and everyone sort of oh, rolls their eyes. All right, here we go. Another thing that we've got to do. Actually, I think if we can all see the opportunity in that, then then that can help fuel innovation within the marketplace as well.
2: Yeah, absolutely, a hundred percent. And then Dan, what did you think on this one?
1: Yeah, you know, we were I, pro- I think probably um, most challenged by the uh, by the regulations of strong, strong customer authentication. I think the. point there was right you know customers drive a lot of change and demand and for us we when we looked at the strong customer authentication and how we were going to do this um, it was pretty clear for a card right it was that insert your card and enter your pin and and the process works pretty well but when you're a ring that doesn't have a way of entering a pin number and you're using only contactless as its as its form um, it provided additional challenges for us but we took that and we used that as a mechanism to explain to our customers that it was for their benefit and enhanced security was just protecting their money even further. And that was a big positive for us. And actually, the switch in the implementation of doing that um, was pretty seamless, and we didn't we didn't foresee and we didn't have any problems or complaints from customers while implementing it. It was accepted um, pretty pretty well. So yeah, whilst it does whilst it does raise challenges of companies of all sizes um, it does bring value add and benefit at the same time as well and I do think I do think it's needed um, especially in our e-money um, services that, that that needed to be tightened up quite quite heavily I think um, and we were a company that were that were banking with um, with wire so I think you know those uh, those challenges presented their, their selves.
2: You said the uh, the C word there, Dan, which leads me quite nicely on to my next question, which is what are the challenges that <laughs> payment companies are going to face this year? Seamless segues. Seamless
1: segues. Uh, it's, it's like we're in tandem.
2: <laughs> so so it, what are the challenges that payment companies are likely to face this year? Or I guess even in the future as well, but let's try and focus it on 2022. Uh, Dan, I'm going to let you go first.
1: Just, I'll carry on. Um, yeah, go on. It, so challenges... I, and i can only i guess talk for for me in the conversations that i have but um challenges for us at the moment is continuing to to service user demand because the the consumer is becoming more demanding um they do want more and they do want it now and the smallest hitch of a of a glitch of a problem seems to be amplified and not just amplified by the customer but there is social media and social channels that they now use to vent their frustrations as well which um poses its own its own problems so keeping keeping customers up to date secure with, with regulation without causing fuss um, is going to be interesting for us, especially as we start to implement new technologies. We're looking at uh, open banking this year. We do traditional acquiring load into our into our ring. We're looking to implement uh, a smoother and easier way to, to do that. I'm sure that will pose its own problems. Um, and for us as a small business, um, one of the challenges that we always have is increasing uh, demand on our on our fraud and compliance teams for even more enhanced due diligence and even more enhanced uh, reporting um, that always puts a stress on a on a small team that we have.
2: Fantastic thank you and then Will what are the challenges that you're seeing and also that we're seeing in the industry? Yeah so I think
0: yeah you know, the additional FTA requirements that are coming in this year we t- we touched on strong customer authentication but um you know operational resilience requirements you know safeguarding um you know focus from from the FCA on that I think that's going to create a lot of a lot of both financial and operational pressure on payment NMI companies um to continue to meet those requirements and again you know that like I said earlier that is that's right that is the right thing to do but you know there's the opportunity cost of of you know that when you maybe a, a in a scale-up sort of environment and you know you've got sort of funding parameters there that you've got to balance so what comes with a lot of those requirements is potentially just sacrificing you know sort of innovation and and sort of where do you where do you juggle deciding where you land on that is going to be uh quite tricky and i think you know certainly as an emi and psp i don't think we get the same guidance from the fca um that the traditional banks would get you know i think it's very very clear what is considered as good industry practice from you know at a banking level but I don't think you get that at a, at a PSP EMI level um, and I think you know we'd certainly call on the FCA to to give more of that um, both on things like safeguarding and, and operational resilience um, but I think you know away from away from the regulatory side of things I think you know we work with a lot of a lot of businesses in a in a, in a whole host of different industries and I think you know, continuing to monitor, especially when you've got things like you know a pandemic, which like I said we're hopefully in the back end of and coming out and seeing the other the other side, but also now you know you've got a war kicking off and you've got you know who, God knows what else is going to be coming around the corner. That has knock-on kind of effects for our clients, which we you know certainly as a as a B two B platform, um, you know treasury management solution. We, we have a, a big challenge of continuing to work very closely with our clients to understand what their payment needs are and to understand what flow is coming our way, both on a foreign exchange and sort of currency pairing side, but also from a, the volume of payments that are going to be coming through. Um, you know, being able to manage that in a way, you know, you can have a, a client base that's churning out X amount of payments per month. And suddenly that drops to Y and it's you know it's our job to understand like well actually what are the implications of that and actually how does that impact our revenue and how do we then sort of you know continue things going on from there and especially when you're dealing with currencies you know we you know we we, were you know now dealing with new countries going into new new uh, risk rating territories you've got different currency pairs which are you know obviously moving in a very volatile way that you know imposes more challenges on us from a but you know we're very fortunate that we've got a fantastic treasury and sort of operational team who can manage that and our you know we 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 put in place some very robust compliance infrastructure but again that comes at the cost of of innovating um because you've got to get the processes right so i think managing that 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 bal- getting that balancing act right i think is going to be a big challenge for for a lot of psps and emis in in 2022
2: Absolutely, and I guess it all harks back like to what I was saying before about that balancing act, you know, like balancing on the tightrope, uh, you know, just trying to sort of stay upright, I guess. Um, oh, absolutely. Maybe, you, yeah.
0: you, speak, you speak to our head of product and she's got a, uh, you know, a list of all the value-led propositions we want to build. And, and but, you know, we've got so many people in the tech team and they've got to be building, you know, other things that that meet these requirements. So, um, you know, we want to give our... Cons- you know, customers, you know, more functionality, more payment routes, you know, um, you know, more reporting tools, you know, all these, all these um, things that we know will add an awful lot of value. Um And, you know, it's just about getting the timing right, I suppose. Yeah,
2: absolutely. And then Damien, throwing it to you, same question.
0: Yeah,
3: I'd like to take a, a run at it from two two directions. Um, I mean, uh, you know, Will, Dom and I, we're all COOs, right? So, like, kind of like the COO support group right here. Um, you know, that, I think you sum up the to, to Will and Dom's points about, you know, balancing um, and resilience. As the COO, I think you can sum your job up as supporting the team while servicing the customer, which is a fairly simple statement, but actually is pretty difficult to do, right? You know, we've got to give all those different teams the support and have them mesh. And then you have, as Will says, these different, Regulatory changes that come in, um, you know, Russia kicks off uh, a war. Uh, (laughs) It's having that balance and being able to maintain, particularly with us, the the scale up culture of not having like 80% on ops and 20% on innovation, like a lot of the bigger payments companies, but actually having that harmonious balance between remaining compliant and Operationally resilient, but at the same time still fostering the innovation amongst the team. So that that's that's a challenge. I think generally as well on a commercial basis. If we go back to the on-demand culture and it's the consumer that's driving what merchants have to do, actually that that balance is shifting back to merchants as well because now that Amazon you know publicly flexed its muscles and uh, you know these are uh, seemingly capitulated uh the other payments giants out there they're going to be at risk of more and more disputes and more and more big merchants or merchant groups actually pushing back and saying well you've done it for them why can't you do it for us so i think that is going to be a further challenge
2: yeah absolutely thank you so much and i guess moving on then we've talked about some of the challenges we've talked about some of the opportunities and the fuels for innovation i guess the big money question then is what's going to be the big trend this year We've had, you know, we've got the emerging trends that we had at the start of 2022. We had 2021 and everything that happened there. Come December 31st, 2022, what is going to be a big thing that we're all going to have talked about for the whole year? Uh, Will, I'm going to let you go first.
0: Yeah, you see, I, th- I think, and and Dan sort of touched on this earlier around, around Web3. Um, and I think the undoubtedly, you know, cryptocurrency, is is on the precipice of really sort of taking off and I think um and many will argue that it already has done but I think it's you know the the idea that it could be seamlessly integrated back into a traditional payments infrastructure or being used in a in a not just in the metaverse but sort of in 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 real life in in the marketplace on a large scale is something that is you know, is becoming more and more real through the development of a lot of these in, incredible crypto related software providers on a on a sort of compliance based level and I think um, you know and that solve a lot of those kyc and transaction monitoring questions and I think that you know, the concepts around zero knowledge proof um, and blockchain compliance is is going to radically change not just how we do how we scale payments, in a traditional sense, but how we then integrate the virtual world with the with the sort of the fiat world, as as it's as referred to. But I think whether or not that is a twenty twenty two job, or whether or not it's something that will happen over over a couple of years, I think is. I think that's ultimately going to be led by the banks um, and their receptiveness, and certainly the tier one banks and their receptiveness to to this. Um, I think ultimately that will be driven by by government policy, not not by. By consumers and us, but um, I think we will see a lot of that infrastructure and you know the, the likes of Chainalysis and Crystal and those really smart better kit that are that are emerging. Um, I think that I think there's something there that could see a lot more of the crypto world, you know, sort of be integrated into into our solutions.
2: Fantastic! Thank you so much for that, Damien. What do you think on the trends of the year?
3: I guess, you know, the buzzword, VRP, right? Variable recurring payments. Um, They're on the roadmap as the latest enhancement of open banking. I mean, they're similar in how they behave as an animal, I guess, to direct debit and is going to allow payment initiation service providers or PISPs uh, like us to instruct a payment on behalf of the consumer um, with all the benefits of open banking payments, you know, such as the lower cost, the speed, the safety, et cetera, being being factored into that. And there's just so many use cases in, you know, utilities, uh, financing, device purchase, installment payments, you know, the, I think that's gonna be a big thing. Assuming, uh, you know, uh, as a, an ecosystem with, you know, the PISPs and the banks themselves and OBIE, assuming we get it all right and, and up and working, which there's uh, an awful lot of work going on at the moment to develop um, proof of concepts and and test campaigns, I think that is going to be one of the big things of 2022. And let's be clear, right? VRP, it's not there yet. um, And there's still a ways to go. Um, So, you know, I think a lot of people may be slightly over-enthusiastic and and optimistic of where VRP is right now today. Um, But certainly where we can get it to uh, this year, I think that's going to be a big thing.
2: Fantastic.
3: And then Dan, same question to you. Yeah, I'm, I'm sticking
1: to my guns with, with the guys here on it. Um, BRP, we are looking at this, um, as I've said a few times here, you know, we've been looking at Open Banking to implement to, to ease the, the loading process of the ring. One of the key features that our users use is auto top up so you know not having to clunk around in the app all the time and just setting some triggers to to make sure that you've always got enough in your wallet to be able to to use your ring and vrp would have been will be a key feature of open banking for us to make sure that customers can continue to use the ring in the same way that they do today um and i i absolutely agree with with damien it's not there yet um some are over enthusiastically claiming that that it is um but it's not but this year i feel like it will come in some form or another um and web 3 yeah I, i'm sticking to that um we've been looking a lot and been part of a lot of these conversations with um, with web 3 i would love to see a little bit more um kyc regulation i know it's decentralized but it does need some centralized integration. It is a little bit wild west at the moment. Um, uh, um, We talk about how we are implementing strong customer authentication, making things better for um, reducing fraud. Um, When you go to Decentraland, fraud is for the roof and rife and a common uh, everyday occurrence. So uh, it's not quite there yet, but the use of the technology um, the more conversations that we have, the more that the bigger players start to get involved, the more you can see that the use of this technology would be awesome in our uh, industry if it was managed and used um, properly. So, yeah, I'll stick to my my opening statements, um, Web3 and, um, and Open Bank VIP, I think for me, are going to be the big two for this year.
2: Amazing. Thank you so much. And I guess we've kind of stuck with 2022 when we're talking at this podcast, but I'd love to know your guys, like, let's look ahead to the future. In the next, say, five years, where do you think things are going to go? Give me your, your best uh, forward planning, your future ideas. What do you think is going to happen? Uh, Damien, I'm going to ask you for that one first.
3: Yeah, sure. Um, <clears throat> so bit of a provocative statement i think the future of payments should feel like you're shoplifting it should feel so incredibly frictionless that it's almost too easy you know, when we see like the uh the, you know the toolless shops that amazon are coming out with and you know you just walk in pick something up yeah but still it tracks back to you're going to have to register a card somewhere uh, and you've got all the, the issues with card expiries you know yeah. that you're gonna to have to go and renew everything so, look, and I would say this, right, in my honest opinion, the future of payments is open banking, you know, to, to um, make that experience so easy. Open banking has just reached 5 million consumers in the UK. And it's a growth of a million over a, uh, a relatively short period. Comparatively, contactless cards took almost 15 years to reach mass adoption. And with the rate of growth that we're seeing in open banking, we'll reach mass market 2025. The demand is clear. You know, that usage is going up and to the right on the hockey stick and it's showing no signs of slowing down. Um, So, yeah, I mean, look, I haven't used cash for anything in the last 10 years apart from a haircut. Um, You know, that's it. Um, (laughs) And it's going to go the same way. You know, why why would I have to carry a piece of plastic around um, that could be lost, could be compromised when I've got my bank account on my phone? You know, that, that's the trend it's going. That's what I feel.
2: Absolutely. And I agree with you 100%. I don't pay with cash for anything anymore. And someone asked me for a cash payment the other day and I was like, I've, I've got nothing. I pay with my phone, like, all the time, contentless. So I, I super agree with you there. Um, Dan, going to come to you. What are your predictions looking at your crystal ball? What do you think?
1: Uh, I, I'm going to stick in the virtual world. You know, um, I think you are uh, right, Damien. I think... You're, checkout process is is almost going to become uh, so seamless it's it's silly and i think there will be a virtual world supporting that i think very soon if not already here um i know visa had some of this tech when i was in san fran four years ago um virtual shop walls where shops are closed and you can touch the glass and still browse and still tap and still buy whilst the shop is um, closed, and I think those virtual worlds where you can step inside a store and browse anytime that you like, uh, and still check out and make purchases—I think that's not um, too far away either. So I think there's going to be lots more players getting into the virtual world as the technology allows us to to dive in um, at a decent rate of running on your home broadband and processors that, that don't cost uh, an arm and a leg and Need a need a server to be able to support it, and I think that technology is nearly there. So, I would personally like to see lots more virtual um, shopping experiences.
2: Fantastic, thank you. And then, well, bringing it to you, what do you think the future is going to hold?
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with the guys. I think I'd separate that into sort of a private and corporate sort of world. Um, I think, from a private perspective, I I, I like Damien's. Uh, analogy of, of shoplifting you know it should feel like that and i think from a ux pers- perspective that's definitely the case and i think but i think um almost sort of you know, sort of oxymoronic way that they are actually also really concerned with security and i think that's one of the beauties of 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 open banking as well and how that sort of you know there's a huge reduction on on the number of sort of fraud cases related to open banking sort of payments in comparison to traditional card rails and i think people are becoming quite obsessed with with that security and they're becoming very much aware of that. And I think, uh, you know, that, that'll be something that really drives, um, you know, people's focus on, on sort of open, open banking sort of checkouts. Um, from a corporate perspective, I, I, I think, you know, naturally businesses can be quite complicated, um, but anything that, you know, sort of streamlines their operation, saves costs, saves, you know, Increases settlement speed. I think. I think the concept of instant payments is something that you know a lot of people assume is is real and and sort of is live amongst uh, amongst everything at the moment. But that's certainly not the case. And if you want to make cross border payments and you want to you know you need funds to land in an account by a certain time, you've got to do your homework to make sure you can get that because the reality is is that money doesn't actually move that way. And actually what a lot of what a lot of people do is actually just update sort of the the front end to reflect the funds have moved rather than money actually moving. so it's it's very you know I think there's going to be a, a definitely a movement towards instant payments um, and certainly on a, on a corporate level as well to help with those sort of settlement speeds and and again uniformity within within the, the corporate world is going to be is going to be massive a- anything that you you'll be surprised how many payments the number of payments that fall out because as you send payments through correspondent banks um yeah you know, the data falls out of that payment and suddenly when it lands where it needs to be you know the accounts team have no idea what the payments for where it's come from and there's a whole then a lot of work needs to go into sort of reconciling that so sort of functionality you know, a shameless plug here like the one we've got within our platform is is sort of something that we we you know we feel is is going to be massive over the next few years and it's certainly where a lot of our strategic focus is is to is to increase those settlement speeds and increase that sort of uh, that sort of data flow so that uh, we you know, we save on all of those all of those issues but you know like i said the 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 requirements between what a retail customer is after and what a corporate customer after on payments can be be quite different. But, uh, yeah, I completely agree with the guys.
2: Perfect. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for your insights. If it was up to me, we would carry on talking about this all day. But sadly, that does bring us to the end of our time uh, together on this podcast. Will, Dan, Damien, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been fascinating to hear your guys' insights. and It's been an absolutely fantastic conversation. So thank you so much.
3: Thank you, Polly. You're welcome.
2: And just to our listeners, if you want to carry on the conversation, you can follow the power 50 at the power underscore 50. And you can use the hashtag payments TFP 50 if you wanted to carry on this conversation. Uh, But thank you so much for joining us. And I hope to catch you on the next one. Thanks. all. thanks, everyone. Thanks,
1: guys. Thank you for listening to the FinTech Power 50 podcast. We hope you enjoyed your time here. Don't forget to check us out at thefintechpower50.com. And if you are interested in becoming a part of the Power 50, get in touch today to see how you and your brand will benefit.